How are you guys? Um, I want to introduce some very special guests with us this morning. Ms. Cecilia Adams, who is the Community Relations Director for Guilford County Schools, and also Dr. Cheryl Lovelady, who is a Professor of Nutrition at UNCG. I practice that really hard because I have a really hard time <laughs> with acronyms. I'm so delighted that you guys are here with us today and um, for the beginning of Celebration of Hope. And um, as we're focusing on the hunger next door, um, hunger that we cannot see, our purpose here is to help inform us so that we can be better able to do outreach in our community. So, um, Ms. Adams, in your job at um, Guilford County Schools, I need to turn my notes right side too. <laughs> in our community, as it shows up in the school, how big is the problem of hunger? Oh, wow, that's, that's a really good question. And I think uh, the problem in Guilford County Schools is a reflection of our community as well. Um, one way we look at um, the level of uh, need in our school district is by the free and, uh, free and reduced count uh, lunch program, the free and reduced lunch program. It's a federal program that gives assistance to people in need. And right now, um, we have approximately 71,000 students in Guilford County Schools, and 54% of our students qualify for free and reduced lunch. You think about it, that's, you know, between 35 and 40,000 students and their families who can get federal assistance based on need for uh, doing things like being able to get food, you know, and so they don't have to make that decision between you know, whether we're going to, you know, buy our lunch at school or, you know, pay a bill. So it's, it's quite a high need. Okay. Um, what is, and you might have already answered this, but is there a correlation between, you know, the 54%? The um, you've already answered this, I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um, <laughs> is there a correlation between the 54% and those stats and the, and the families? Um, being hungry over, overall? Yeah, I really believe there is. And when you think about it, um, a family of four, according to the poverty guidelines of the, the federal government, um, the poverty line is $22,050 take-home pay gross for a family of four. Um, in order to be um, qualified for a free lunch program in Guilford County Schools, um, that poverty, that, that line of what you make gross is 28665 for a family of four. Now, I'm sure most of you can think of, you know, people, you may know people, you may have relatives, you may be in that situation yourself where, you know, you don't make a lot of money, maybe you've uh, recently lost your job in this economy, you know, you probably know people who have houses that are going into foreclosure, and you know these are these are our neighbors. These are people all over Guilford County. It's not just in one section of the county or another, but it's it's all over. And this economy, the way it is right now, we've really seen those numbers grow. Okay. And what does that mean for our kids over the weekend and over the summer months? What happens to those kids that get food at school and then there's there's nothing? Well, um, that's a really good question, too, because um, we at Guilford County Schools, we provide breakfast, 
We provide lunch, and if they're in an after-school program, a snack for after-school. Um, but then the other times when students are on their own over the weekend, over the summer, it used to be that there really wasn't that much else out there. And then a few years ago, um, I believe this trend started somewhere in Arkansas, I believe, where a school counselor noticed that some students were eating a lot on Friday and then coming back for breakfast on Monday morning and just eating a lot. And she tracked this for a while and come to find out it was because some of those students had no um, access to food at home over the weekend. And hence the uh, national movement really of the Backpack Meals programs begun. And I have seen that grow in the past three years at Guilford County Schools from just a few schools receiving that service to more and more faith groups and community organizations and nonprofits hearing that call of that need and saying, how can we help? Very good. Um, Dr. Lovelady, this okay. next question is for you. Okay. As a nutritional expert, um, what does the lack of proper nutrition, how does the lack of proper nutrition affect a child? Well, there's, there's a lot of impact, immediate and long term. And um, the issue of no food over the weekend is um, if it's one weekend in six months or a year, we, we, our bodies can handle that. But weekend after weekend, the first immediate impact is illness. Children will get sick more often. Protein is needed for immune function. And if they don't get sick more often, when they do get sick, they will be sicker longer and it will be more severe. And so the impact on their academic performance, the impact of your kids sitting next to them um, is, is quite profound. And then in the long term, growth is affected, especially if we don't get protein. And the other key nutrient is iron. Iron is necessary for learning, for behavior. The first symptom of iron deficiency anemia is short attention span. And I don't know if you have, uh, if there are any teachers out here, my husband's a public school teacher, and that's probably the biggest issue you have to face in the schools. And then after short attention span, we see um, definite brain development affected with iron deficiency anemia. So it's not just calories. It's not packing those backpacks with um, high carbohydrate foods. It's protein and iron that the children need. Okay, so when we're, when we're thinking about this, you're saying of the two most important things that children need, growing bodies need, is protein and iron. What? After calories. We do okay. need calories. Okay. But in this country, McDonald's is cheap. You can get calories for even low-income people. Well, unfortunately, that's, they're choosing Kool-Aid and McDonald's because of um, the cost. And when do you refresh us on some in, more inexpensive items that would possibly have um, well, I love, seeing, I love seeing the backpack list because I, I've, it's great. Um, beans, um, legumes, peanut butter, eggs, those are high-quality sources of protein and very high in iron. And then we have our um, milk, which isn't high in iron, but very um, high in protein. So those are the best. The other issue, though, that we're facing is not immediate effects, but our long-term effects of chronic disease. And these children are being raised on fast food diets, high carbohydrate, high fat, and they are at higher risk for diabetes and heart disease later on. So the other big factor we've got to do is the canned fruits and vegetables. And my nutrition students just get shocked when I say canned fruit is very nutritious. It is. Canned vegetables are very nutritious. 
sure we'd love to get them from the garden, but that isn't always seasonal and it isn't always there. And I grew up in California. I've seen that it is really, they go in, they harvest it, and the plant is right next to the fields. So it's, in, it's peak when they harvest it. And it is probably more nutritious than that tomato that came up from Peru <laughs> and has been sitting around for several weeks. Okay, thank you. I'll, I'll modify my shopping list to <laughs> include canned vegetables from California. <laughs> Ms. Adams, um, the next question is for you. As we're looking at getting more involved and um, as we do the backpacks, um, but even looking long term, um, what are some ways that we can get involved in our community for helping the needy families um, through the schools or in other connections that we have with special interest groups, um, like other faith groups? Um, the good news about that is um, pretty much the door is wide open to our schools for faith communities and for nonprofits and other civic groups that want to come in and help. Um, for the past couple years, we've uh, in the spring held a uh, faith group workshop for faith leaders to come in and, and um, so that they know that, yes, you are welcome in our schools. Um, yes, you know, people say, but what about the separation of church and state? What about that? Sure, there's a couple things that you can and can't do, but that's a short list, and you have to remember that. The, the main thing is, is that a faith community and a public school, we share the same goal, and that is to raise our children, to see our children succeed in life. And we come at it from a couple different ways, but the, but the goal is still the same. Um, these children that are in our schools today are going to be the future leaders of our, our community, our, our world, our nation, our world, um, and helping them out right now. You know, we talked a little bit about um, students needing nutrition when they're young. If a student, if a child does not read on grade level by the time that they're in the third grade, more than likely they never will. So uh, starting young is very important. I think that um, doing the backpack program is fabulous. I'm, I'm really happy to be here today to hear that you're going to start that. That's really good. And there's a lot of really great groups in town that you can learn from how to do this and, and uh, get help from. But think about, um, don't, I would pick one school, and I can help you pick a school if you'd like, but if you pick one school and concentrate on one school, maybe you even pick one classroom. One classroom that's 25 kids that you're going to be supporting. And you can do that through the backpack program. You can do that through um, making sure that they have the right school supplies to start out the school with. You can do that through donating an hour of your time a week to go in and be a reading buddy to help them make sure that they're reading on grade level. Or to be a lunch buddy, to go in, take an, uh, a lunch hour once a week and go in and, and mentor a child and be that extra adult attention that some of our students really need. So. Whatever your time or your talents or your interests are, we can find a place for you uh, in Gopher County Schools for the uh, assistance with our students. Thank you very much for that. Okay, Dr. Lovelady, we, we, um, as we look to serve our hungry families around us, um, what is some last minute or uh, advice that you can give us to make sure that we're, we're doing um, to really help their felt need as far as nutrition? Oh, there's um, the, the one program we haven't talked about, the Women, Infants, and Children program, 
is an excellent program for pregnant women, postpartum women, infants and children up to age five. Again, it's a federal government program. It is one that uh, usually has bipartisan support. It's been around for 30 years and it, it gives nutrition education. It gets these people into health care and it also provides them milk, dried beans, uh, juices, fortified cereals. It's an excellent program. So when you're working with these people and they, you, have, you know somebody, she's a pregnant mom, please refer them to the health department for the WIC program. The last thing I'd like to say is one of the things we can do most in this community and in this country and in this world is to promote breastfeeding. You're talking about starting early. Breast milk is the most nutritious food and it contains over 200 bioactive components that you're never going to find in formula that help with brain development. And so that is the best thing we can do to ensure a healthy start for our children. Well, I so appreciate the time that you took and your, the expertise that you lent for us for Celebration of Hope. Thank you. Can we give them a Thank you. Thank for, you very much. Thank you for inviting us. That was a good info. I learned a lot there. really appreciate you being here. Now, I know you're thinking, um, wait, we just uh, had about a 15-minute interview. We learned a lot of great stuff and some teaching he's going to preach, too. Uh, well, suck it up. I am. <laughs> hey, for our remaining few minutes, I'd like to just talk to you about this word that we use a lot, and the word is worship. Uh, we talk about this word worship in church. Uh, we are here to worship the Lord. If we open up our Bible, you can open up all the way to the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, and, and start working through. You are going to find this word worship throughout the Bible. It shows up everywhere. And so it would make perfectly good sense that as Christians, one of the callings on our lives is to worship. All right? Am I right? Are you with me on that? All right? Any buy into that? Good. I got one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, but here's the, here's the question now that where we go from here is we ask the question, well, what is this thing? What is this thing called worship? We talk about uh, in the church world often we come on Sunday morning and the worship team is up front playing, correct? We have worship leaders, and most often those are the leaders that uh, lead the music or lead some type of artistic expression of, uh, of what's happening up front. We talk about uh, many times at the end of our service when we start to pass you know, the plates around, we talk about continuing our time of worship in our tithes and offerings. And so we, we talk about our, our giving back to the Lord and giving to things as a form of worship as well. Well, all of these is true, but does that catch the full essence of worship? And this morning I would say, no, it doesn't quite catch the fullness of it. And so for in our remaining few minutes, I just want us to hit on this word worship. And because I think you're going to see that as we talk about celebration of hope and as we talk about looking to people that we can offer hope to, what we're really saying is we want a complete view of worship. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Here's the two words, adoration, action. And so this right here is, is what we're going to look at that brings us to the word worship, adoration and action. When we think about adoration, uh, that word means we adore someone, right? We look to somebody with affection, or we look to a situation with affection. Now, many of you have come to know uh, by now that I am a huge Atlanta Braves fan. 
All right, big time. Thank you. Um, now wait a second. Um, I just talked about if we're buying to worship. I got one. Oh yeah. I said Atlanta Braves. Hmm. Let me rewrite this board up here. So adoration is when we adore them. So I'm a huge Braves fan, right? And um, I have this uh, when I'm watching the Braves play. I am fully engulfed. The West Coast trip just killed me last week because the games didn't start till 10 o'clock. And, uh, and yes, I stayed up and watched them um, because I have this adoration for the Braves. Now, I don't care what player is on the Braves. I like that player. I adore that player. So it could be kind of the bad boy of the major leagues who's been, you know, in all kinds of trouble and has all kinds of this uh, cocky attitude. For some reason, as soon as they get on the Braves, they're a fine, outstanding uh, citizen um, who I, I follow. It can be somebody that, you know, I really just, just great, great guy. love how they play. As soon as they're off the Braves, it's out of sight, out of mind. They're done. Uh, it's this affection with the Braves. Now, uh, I grew up in Atlanta. I was born in Atlanta, so that's where it stems from. I find myself saying things and doing things often in front of the TV as I'm watching the Braves uh, because of this adoration. Well, the same is true in our faith, in our Christian journey, is that when we really lock on to who this God is, we find ourselves doing things and saying things because of our adoration for him. And so on Sunday mornings when we come and we, we stand and we, we have these words projected on the screen and we sing and we call that worship, we are expressing adoration to our God. We are saying things like, I praise you, I adore you, I honor you, I lift you up. You have forever been, you'll forever be. You have worked in my life here, you'll keep working. We sing these type of songs out of adoration. And that is this component of worship. The Psalms is filled with these adoration. Have you ever jumped in the book of Psalms and just read? Now, about a third of the Psalms are laments. It's like somebody saying, God, why are you doing this? What's going on? Uh, I don't like this, but I'll keep my eyes on you. But then about two-thirds of these are like these praise-type courses. And we find that, uh, uh, that they're actually in the heading uh, of, of your Bible. Sometimes these editors have put in little headings of the author's and it'll say something like, written by a worship director, all right? Um, and so we get these adoration type of psalms. Take a look at one. It's one of my favorites, Psalm 120, all right? Psalm 120. It says this, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and flute. Praise Him with clash of, of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now that is adoration. Have you ever had that moment uh, where you're just, you're, you're just connecting with God and the words that we just read are just kind of flowing out of your thinking, where it's just such praise and adoration for God? I mean, look at that, what's going on here. I mean, they, they, there's this band that's like playing. I mean, uh, the sound of cymbals, the sound of resounding cymbals. I mean, this is emphatic. Make some noise. We are excited about what the Lord's doing. And then the, I love how it ends because he says, let everything else press, praise the Lord. And the last words, it's almost like he doesn't quite know what to say anymore. So he just repeats, praise the Lord, just so we got it. That's adoration. That is this adoration. And often, 
adoration is, is done in a verbal sense. We speak adoration. Take your kids, for example. Uh, we speak these words of adoration. You know, I love you. I love you. You are wonderful. You are great. I'm so proud of you. These are words of adoration. And so we have this connection with God in this word adoration. But the question of the morning is, is this the fullness of worship? We're going to take a look at this other word, this word action. And if we were to take our, our marker out this morning, I'll take mine since uh, I don't want everyone coming up, uh, and I were to put a plus sign here and we'd say adoration plus action equals worship, then we add this component is in asking, well, what does the action component of worship look like? What is action component of worship? Well, in, in my kids' lives, uh, uh, you know, I have three kids, and uh, I'm going to tell you, quite honestly, are my kids in here? No. Okay, I'm going to tell you, um, quite honestly, I loved my son James. Loved him when he came out. I mean, we were excited as could be. Loved TC. Uh, you know, TC stands for Thomas Christopher, my name. So there's this connection right away. Love TC, right? But when Sierra came around, let me tell you something. Um, uh, we just about, you know, just leaped out of the room when the doctor told us we were going to have a daughter. Years back, I went to a, a wedding of a friend who was giving his daughter away, um, and I thought, that's it, I got, yeah, I got to do that. Um, and so I, I've been longing for this. So, uh, so there was just this immediate adoration. I mean, James, James got a spot in a bedroom, you know, TC got a spot in a bedroom, for some reason, I, I was painting Sierra's room pink, and Hello Kitty was going up, and I was, it was, it couldn't just be Hello Kitty, it had to be a specific type of Hello Kitty. Um, so I was looking around, you know, eBay and all kinds of stuff, trying to figure this out. Um, that was action. My adoration was playing out in action. We understand this principle. We do this quite often when our adoration plays out, but there's this action that goes with it. It is the plus action part of it here. How does that work out in our Christian walk? Well, now you're pretty smart people, so by this point in the morning with the theme of the morning in our interview, you've already grasped on to the idea the action part is about us offering hope. It's about us bringing hope to people, not just in the verbal form, though that's important, but it's in doing something. It's been tangibly stepping into their lives and honor, offering hope in some real way. Backpacks, canned foods, talking about the issue of hunger that some of them face. That's the action. But take a look at a passage, because I want to make sure we, we walk through this. Uh, this might be a familiar one. It's in the, the book of Revelation. It's in chapter 3, and it starts in verse 14. It goes through 16. So if you want to take a look at that, um, it'll be on the screen for you as well. Take a listen. The angel of the church in Laodicea, right? These are the words. Uh, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now. Um, when I was in junior high, when I first started coming to church, uh, and 14, 15, and then I, you know, I got in high school, 16, somewhere around there, um, I remember my friend Mark Langell and I, our favorite verses of the Bible uh, were anything that had to do with vomit. 
Um, so I learned this verse really early on, even before I became a Christian, because, you know, the idea of, you know, bleh, um, was, was a really cool junior high guy type of thing to think out. So I've known this verse for many years. Jonah and the whale, another fun one uh, there. But what does this passage mean? I've grown up and I've many, many times heard this passage talk about uh, being neither hot nor cold, being lukewarm. God just has this thing about lukewarmness. Um, that if I'm not passionately walking with God, hot, passionate, on fire. You ever play that little game where, you know, you walk around and something's hidden and uh, either you or your kid is telling you, uh, you know, you're hot, you're cold, you're cold, you're cold, you're hot, oh, burning up. Uh, that we're passionate, passionate about God, and that's hot. And on the other side, cold is like, pff, reject God, don't want to have anything to do with God, could care less about God. And then lukewarm is in the middle. It's kind of like, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian, or I say I'm a Christian, but I don't really do anything with it, or um, you know, I'm a Christian on Sunday mornings, but after I leave church, nothing really goes on in my week. And that's the interpretation I've heard for years and years and years about this. But... When I, once I did at some point, kind of broke this down and started to look at, at some of the, the background story, I think you, to really understand this passage, you have to understand the geography. You have to understand this area. See, Laodicea was just a little ways from Colossae. Uh, the book of Colossians is, is written there. Um, just, just a short distance away. And in between these two cities, there was hot springs. Um, hot springs at the time were a place that you could go for hot water, which was often equaled healing, some type of, of healing. You know, your aches and pains, guys, from our softball the other night? Um, I'm not joking. My calves are sore. Uh, hot springs, you'd go and you'd soak in those hot springs. Or, you know, like you get in your bathtub and you, you fill it up and you throw in those, those kind of salts that I don't know much about and, and you soak down in a hot springs. That's what these hot springs would do. And it was located right in the middle of this time. So Laodicea was not a very well-known place at the time, but then something happened. A road was cut. A road from Ephesus all the way to Laodicea. In fact, this road was part of this loop. And at the, in this story in Revelation, where you see these seven churches that letters are being written to, um, this Bill of Scholars have told us that these seven, these seven letters are written to to towns on this loop when this road was cut in, and that from those seven churches, they could have dispersed out to all these other towns. And so even though it didn't start out to be a prominent town and not much was going on, when the road was cut, Laodicea started to be a hub. And so travelers would come through here. And so you could see the opportunity for a town like Laodicea to offer this healing for weary travelers or people that had become injured on the path because of their access to these hot springs. Now, it was no different in their day as it is in our day today that, that the city would, would kind of own these type of landmarks and they would at some point set up some type of admission and allowance to go into these places. And so Laodicea, they had the ability to give access to this type of hot springs. And then something happened. An aqueduct was created. And archaeologists just in the last 15 years have discovered really what this aqueduct was doing. And what would happen is the water would come out of the hot springs 
and it would start towards Colossae one way and towards Laodicea the other way. And at some point past the springs, the tube would actually go underground. And the whole purpose of it was to cool the water. And so it would go and it would be in shade for that trip to cool the water down. And by the time that aqueduct hit the city, the water actually could be used right away for drinking water, for cool drinking water. So they created this, this, this old type of system to take hot springs, cool it into drinking water right away. Obviously no refrigerators, no ice cubes, things like that. And so they created this system. And so if you are a traveler coming through Laodicea, you have the opportunity to rest your weary body in hot springs. And you have the opportunity in this arid desert type of area to have this cool, refreshing drink from this cooled water that came through the shade tube. And so you can see now when, this, when the author sits and writes this and Jesus is saying, I know your deeds. They're neither hot and they're neither cold. It's lukewarm. It's right in the middle. It's lukewarm. It's clear in if these, these archaeology type things and this geography is accurate, it's, it's, it's clear that hot water was helpful and cold water was helpful. They didn't have as much use for lukewarm water. And so this metaphor, you can see them now looking at this and saying, you're neither hot nor you're cold. You're not out there bringing healing and help to broken and wounded people or weary people, and you're not bringing refreshment to people on a long journey or a tired journey. Nothing, you're, just, you're lukewarm in the middle. And then God, this, this phrase, so I'll spit you out of my mouth. There's not often that God uses the metaphor of vomit in a way like this. You know, it's been for me about three, two and a half years since my last vomit experience. I remember it well. The hour of the morning, the pathway from the bedroom to the uh, commode area. I can remember the position I got in, and I can remember vividly the prayer I was saying to the Lord just prior, asking for immediate healing, um, so what I knew was about to happen would not happen. Pretty vivid experience. And that's the metaphor God uses. This violent, this violent graphic uh, type of metaphor here. And God is saying in a real way, look, you have resources around you. For Laodicea, you have hot springs and you have cold water. You have resources around you. Use them. Use them to bring hope to people. Use them to bring healing. Use them to bring uh, some type of, of really joy to their life that they're not experiencing. Bring that to them. You have resources. For you, it, it may be totally different. For us, it might be completely different. We have access to these grocery stores where we can go down and buy ourselves food and and we often have that extra five, ten, twenty dollars where we can look and, and we can buy another bag of the groceries to bring for something like we're doing in celebration of hope. We have those resources. You know what God is saying? Use them. Use the resources. Use what you have to bring hope to people. Now, you may be like, but Tom, I mean, you don't understand. I look at my checkbook. We are at the penny every, every week. All right? And if that's accurate, if that's where you're at, understandable. What's your other resource? What else has God put in your life 
where you can help. An hour a week uh, that uh, the lady said today, you could go down and help a kid read to make sure he's on track. There's resources available to us. And what God is saying in this passage to us as we break down this, this geography is you have the resources, let's use them. Let's go be a blessing to people. Now, I want to say two more things about being a blessing before we, we wrap up. Number one is this. Being a blessing or wanting to minister to somebody can be messy. I just want to be straight out with you. It can be messy. So uh, some of you ha- know by now, but uh, yesterday a young man in our church who's been going through a rough time, uh, he, he tried to commit suicide yesterday took some pills, and, and uh, we were able to get on the scene right away and call the, the 911, and some, some good people were able to be there 10, 15 minutes even before I was there. Um, and you know what? In a situation like that, you, you'd think kind of, you know, you, you kind of save somebody and, and you revive them, and, and then we move forward knowing how valuable life is. But Ray Mashinsky and I sat in the emergency room last night to about 1130, and you know what? That wasn't, that wasn't the attitude. It's a rough, raw thing that he's working through. Now, we'll walk with him the whole path. We're totally committed, 100%, to walk with him. But it's rough right now. It's rough. It's rough to see the hope. It's, wor- it's rough to see the people around that are wanting to help. It's rough to see the people that have helped. Ministry can be messy. But you know what? God has said, just use your resources and do it. You don't need to worry so much about the outcome. That's something God wants to take control of. You need to worry about doing the work. I know like you, sometimes I've pulled over and I've, I've had something right in my hand or, or some money and I just said, you know, I don't want to give it to that homeless guy. He might go buy booze with it. And God is saying, look, use your resources, Tom. Use it. And if you, if you don't want to buy, if you don't want to give him the cat, just go buy him a, 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 you know, a Burger King meal and, and give it to him but do something with our resources. What I love is in my conversations with you guys and when we start talking about things like this, you, you get so creative with your ideas, so far outside of like even the things that come to my mind on how you can be a blessing and how you can use your resources. Even though ministry is messy at times, it can be messy. At times, the very one you're helping can turn around and call you the bad guy. It can be messy. But God, that's where he wants us to go. Bring help and healing. There's times when you can exhaust your resources and you go, did I even do any help here? Did I even help anyone? God says, keep using your resources. The second thing before we wrap up is there is a tremendous blessing that comes. Tremendous blessing that comes with being able to offer hope to somebody. I got a call not oh, I don't know, maybe two and a half years or two years ago from a young lady who was in our youth program. And uh, this, was, this was back when I was youth pastoring at 19, 20 years old. Her name was Faith. And she called me, and, and uh, she had graduated at 18 and immediately got engaged uh, to, to a young man who was, uh, who, who was kind of far from the Lord. And so we were a bit worried about this. Uh, quick marriage, somebody who was, who was far from the Lord, and... and uh, but that's the route she, wa- she went on, and, and they had some, some rough times right away in that connection. About two years ago, she called me, and she started to tell me her story. Started to tell me what the years had looked like. And they were not good years. Um, they were not, not great times. But she said a few years prior, 
They went to a worship service, and she was sitting there. She had her head bowed, and the next thing she knew, the seat was empty next to her, and her husband was, was gone to the aisle, committed his life to Christ, became a Christian right on the spot. It took immediately and this dramatic transformation in his life. And she started to share about this. Now, guys, I don't even remember speaking into her or ministering to her in much of, much of any way other than, you know, she was a member of the youth group. But here's what she said. She said, do you know that one night you and Bill, my friend Bill, went to the hat, the pastrami place where he was working. You went to the, the hat and you, you ordered from him and you guys sat and waited till he got off so that you could go. I think we went to a donut shop later. And we just hung around about, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours till he came out. And then we went to this donut shop. I said, yeah, I remember. I remember going to that. I don't remember the conversation. I don't remember anything about it. And he said, that's what James spoke about the moment he came after his conversion. He spoke about this, this he couldn't tangibly say it, but the seed that was planted uh, and that many years later he came to know the Lord, even after all of this junk he dealt with in his life, just, just junk, came to know the Lord. As you never know, the opportunity when we just offer a little bit of hope, just a little bit of hope, what that can do to transform somebody's life. So this morning the Lord is telling us, look, adoration, let's keep doing it. Let's keep praising and lifting up God's name. Let's bring him a great, great praise in everything we do as the psalmist has shared with us. But don't stop here. Let's put it into action. You know, however the Lord leads, whatever the Lord puts in our path, use our resources to bring a blessing. Over the course of this next month, we're going to be looking at a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 58. Let me just give you a heads up. It's a hard passage. It's a hard passage, but it speaks such truth into us. And so over the course of the month, we're going to look at that. Also in our, our groups for a season that start tonight, we're going to be walking through some of these concepts and, and other things, but we're going to be walking through some of this as a small group. And what a blessing it's going to be for you to kind of connect in community in a different way. So uh, the door is not closed on it. If you would like to be in a small group, you just let me know and we'll get you in even tonight. Let's pray and, and go before the Lord. Father, thank you for who you are and thank you for what you offer us. And Lord, in return, Lord, we want to offer. We want to be your vessels to bring hope and to care for others and to bring healing to others, to offer them something cool to drink. And so, Lord, open our eyes to it. We're all a little bit different, Lord. We all have different resources, but, Father, you have said uh, the resources are yours for, for my glory. And so, Lord, help us to just find that person in need and may our knee-jerk become to offer hope. We pray in your son's name. Amen.